0: the passage we're going to be in this morning as we continue to to think about these things in the Word of God as it relates is uh, one verse. It's 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Peter tells us he was carried along by the Spirit, and as he was carried along by the Spirit, these are the words he wrote. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. In this passage, Peter tells us very plainly that we are in a war. He says that we're to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against our souls. So let's talk about war. War is about destruction. It is about death. It is about conquering and capturing, killing. And it's real. When Peter uses this picture... He is telling the people who will hear these words that the Holy Spirit led him to write, which continues today. Isn't that amazing? And he's saying between now and until Christ returns, you are in exile, you're a sojourner, and on that journey, there is going to be a war, and the war is going to be against your soul. He gets even more graphic at the end of his letter and says the enemy... The devil roams around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to, what, devour. Not mess with, not irritate, not cause mild frustration, but to devour. And that's the battle that we're in. He expresses it here by saying it's the passions of the flesh which wage war against the soul. So this morning what I want to do is talk about the anatomy of passions, And I think the best way on this Sunday, Sanctity of Life, to explain it is to look at two sisters. Two sisters in the late 80s that I knew very well. 18 months apart, one 16, one around 18. Both professed faith in Christ. Both were involved in young life. Both were converted through that ministry. But over time, there was a passion that was born in them. And the passion was for a boy. Both of them involved in a relationship with a young man. Both involved with young men who also profess faith in Christ. But the anatomy of passion looks this way. There is a moment when a temptation comes. And the temptation always comes as something that goes against the word of God. Even from the very first temptation all the way back in Genesis... The very first question in the Bible, actually, is not from God. It's from Satan. And the question to Eve from Satan was, did God really say? It was a question against God's word. So passion, the anatomy of passion, is always born, these passions of the flesh, with a question that tempts us to move beyond the word of God, to reject the word of God, to say, even though I know this is not something I should engage in, or something I should desire, or something I should surrender to, I give in. And when that happens, something is conceived. And so these two sisters, 18 months apart, not really talking about their relationships, are secretly surrendering to the temptation of being involved sexually in a way they shouldn't. Rejecting the word of God, engaged as they shouldn't, and then suddenly the younger one conceives. The thoughts that she was experiencing as now a 16-year-old popular at her school with parents who would be opposed to that kind of activity that led to this conception. She's overwhelmed. And that's part of the anatomy of passions. Deception, temptation, surrender, conception, and now she's overwhelmed. What am I going to do? What are my parents going to say? What should, what should we do? And then suddenly she finds herself in that place of saying, I can't handle this alone. I need help. She gets it. She makes a decision to keep the child and now navigate on her own journey. What's it like to be 16 and to see a little one that calls you mom? What a hero, though. She made a a bad decision, but then she made the right decision. Her older sister witnessed all of this. Her older sister was there when she told her mom and dad that she was pregnant. She listened. She heard what her parents said. She was there in the delivery room when her niece was born. Soon after she was born, she held her niece. Not long after that, because they're still at home under the roof of their parents, She would rock that little girl all the time feeling this war against her very own soul because just months before this younger sister said to her parents, I'm pregnant, she too had that same passion of the flesh. She too has surrendered to that temptation. She also was pregnant. But there were some different circumstances to this story. The young boy who she'd been dating for a long time was the pastor's son. And the shame that would come upon their family and their church if this got out began to overwhelm them. You see what happens? Passions of the flesh reveal other passions of the flesh. And where one passion was for physical intimacy, not thinking this could really happen, Now there's a new passion of the flesh, self-preservation, reputation. We can't be a part of a scandal. We've got to protect your dad or we have to protect my dad. And then the unthinkable. I promise you, this sister never thought it would be possible that she could take the life of her own child. But at the encouragement of the pastor's son, with passions burning, which wage war against the soul. They went to the place where that could happen, and it did. And now, living in secrecy, overwhelmed by the reality of what has happened, now desperately alone because the pastor's son broke up three days after the abortion, she is navigating a world where she sees her little sister who surrendered to the same passion, but then made the right choice. And it crushed her. The secret hidden in a tomb which nobody could see was suddenly revealed when she attempted her own life. And then she was in a psych ward for a number of days. And there the story came out of what she had done. She's in her mid-40s now. And she would say, I've never recovered. I'm still close to both these women. I get to say hi to them occasionally and hear their story. Thinking of this Sunday and what this is about, I think it is so important for us to understand that when Peter says, abstain from the passions of your flesh that wage war against your soul, it's important for us to realize that it is a real war, and there are very real consequences. And our enemy and the flesh is not really seeking to just annoy us. He is seeking ultimate destruction. Now, I believe if you're in Christ, you will always be in Christ. Your soul can't be destroyed, but that doesn't mean he isn't active. That doesn't mean that he is not going to come after. That doesn't mean that he doesn't want to to really injure, maim, harm. But what do we do? How do we battle? It's not just this issue where we see the, the passions of the flesh present. My friends, you and I all have passions of the flesh, and the anatomy of those passions is all the same. It begins with a temptation to not take God at His word, followed by a submission or a surrender to that temptation, something of destruction is born, and then there are the overwhelming consequences, sometimes, sometimes which don't come till later in life, but they're there. How? Do we fight against the passions of the flesh? Well, first, you need to admit, because of what God's word says, you are at war. There really is a war waged against your soul. And like these two sisters, you don't look that far down the road. You don't look that far down to what the consequences might be. And when you do, you probably don't go far enough the passions lead to other passions. So you have to admit we're in this war. The word of God says we are. Two, you have to admit, we must, that we cannot fight the passions of the flesh with the flesh. This battle is too hard. You and I in our own flesh, we don't have enough power, but we have in Christ all we need. So here's the great and encouraging word, and I want you to begin to say this over and over. We must fight the passions of the flesh with passion. We all must fight the passions of the flesh with passions. But it's not our passion. It's His. We've looked at the anatomy of passion Would you allow me to spend a few minutes looking at the anatomy of his passion? And maybe this will be something you've never heard or you've heard it before and it's going to be really fresh and renewing. Listen to the anatomy of Christ's passion. The passion of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is for his glory. It's to rescue his people. So the anatomy of God's passion looks like this. There's going to be a woman, and she's not perfect. And she's engaged to be married to a man. His name's Joseph. Her name's Mary. They will not engage in sexual intercourse before they get married. But there is going to be a child in the womb. There is going to be what looks like a scandalous pregnancy because pregnancy shows and as God the Father was knitting together in the womb of Mary, God, his only son, she began to show. And as she began to show, rumors would spread. Joseph went to quietly divorce her even before they're married. It was a custom. Because he didn't want her to experience this, this scandal The anatomy of God's passion begins in the womb of a woman. This woman would give birth like all women give birth. It would hurt. She'd be in agony. But the difference is she would be giving birth to God-man. A baby that was 100% man and 100% God. A baby whom would have to nurse at her breast in order to be fed. A baby absolutely dependent in all the ways the babies are that we see every time we baptize one. This baby would grow up, and as he would grow up, he too, like you and me, because he's a human being, would be tempted to not take God at his word. In fact, the temptation I believe would be greater than anything you and I would ever experience. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, the enemy, the devil himself, would go and he would tempt Jesus. And in each case, he was doing something with the Word of God, in which Jesus would battle that temptation with the very Word of God. Jesus Christ was conceived, he was born, he walked upon this earth, and he was tempted. As he walked upon the earth and moved towards his public ministry, never sinning once, he went to a place after he knew the end was coming. And he went to this place and he prayed there in the garden to the Father. He prayed, God, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But not my will be done, but thy will be done. You know what Jesus says also then? My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. You know why? Not because he felt shame for any sin that he had ever committed because he had never committed one. But he was about to be punished for every passion of the flesh that would, that had ever been or be committed. He was about to take the wrath of the Father for every passion of the flesh and moment regarding the passion of the flesh that you have surrendered to, that I have surrendered to. He was going to experience the perfect wrath of his father poured out on him. He was going to become sin that we might be set free. And he was overwhelmed to the point of death but still never sinning. Now imagine the sonograms that we've heard about even today. Those four heartbeats flickering inside one womb. Well, Jesus Christ had a heart The gospel writer John placing his head upon the breast of Christ. Imagine heard it. Imagine hearing the heartbeat of God. Jesus goes in the anatomy of passion to the cross. And the power of the cross is there displayed as Jesus hangs dying for us. And then soon he speaks the words, It is finished. The wrath, the justice, all accomplished. And the heartbeat of Jesus Christ stopped. It stopped because his heart burst. That was his passion. That's the anatomy of God's passion. The only way we can fight the passions of the flesh is with the passion of God. To try and battle these things in our own flesh, it will never happen. But to look to His passion, to turn to Him, The most amazing gift is given. The gift of forgiveness. The gift of eternal life. Not long ago, the older sister and I talked about God's forgiveness. She says, I know I professed faith in Jesus once. It was at a Young Life camp, but I'm not sure it was real. Why would I have surrendered to that? And why would I have ever done what I did? And she's living Decades later, with so much shame. I told her, you know, the passions of the flesh are still speaking to you. And one is self-righteousness in a weird kind of way, and shame. I said to this sister, his passion for you is much greater than the mistakes you made and the ones you will make. You simply must trust him. She's on a journey, like all of us. And this morning, I know because of how big this church is, that there are people visiting or people who come here every week, who maybe a long, long time ago, or not that long ago, did something really wicked, like the older sister. And the shame of that decision overwhelms you. And it might not be a woman who's here that's had that experience, but it's a man who paid for it. And you've never told anyone And it's stuffed in this tomb. I want to tell you that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. He conquered death so that his ultimate death mattered. And what you have buried there, he can save you from. He has this resurrection power. But it's possible that there's another passion in your flesh that's still saying no one can know. And you know what that's doing to you, don't you? It's waging war against your soul and it's killing you. My friends, Jesus Christ died for the passions of the flesh. We all have them. They may not be centered on this issue, but on other things like addiction to pornography or a substance. There may be a passion in you just simply for self or for your name or for power. None of these things could be conquered with the flesh, but all can be conquered in the powerful passion of Jesus. I promise you, this is real, and he is the only way. One of the reasons we gather each week is to encourage one another, really to abstain from the passions of the flesh because they're waging war in our soul. As I said last week, the only way can we can do that is by availing ourselves of the means of grace. What are those means? The sacraments, we witnessed it this morning. The word of God, prayer, and I believe fellowship. So as I said last week, at the end of each service, from now on, indefinitely, when we stand to sing, there will be men and women in the corners, front and in the back. And when you desire prayer, I'm not going to say need it, because you always need it, and so do I. I want to encourage you to come. Avail yourself of that means of grace. The people will have blue name tags on. They'll stay after the service too. On a day like today, when this topic is so central, you need to know that that's not the only thing you could come and ask for prayer for. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe your heart's just broken. Maybe you really are battling something and you feel all alone. Or maybe you have doubt. Or maybe you want to know what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus. After I close in prayer and we stand to sing power of the cross. Simply make your way to one of these folks and pray. It is a gift from God. Last thing, this Jesus and the one who has this incredible passion, he actually is living to intercede right now on our behalf. Jesus Christ is praying for us. Lord God, with that truth reigning with you reigning, we bring to you all that we have heard. and We thank you for your forgiveness. And God, if there's any here today who are desperate because they've been hiding something for so long, would you give them an overwhelming sense of your presence, that that which has been buried for so long may actually be released and buried by you, that your glory and your grace would overwhelm them so that they might say, I need Jesus to take this once and for all. God bless us. We are about to lift our voices to you in song, singing about the power of this passion, your cross. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.